Hello and welcome to Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paulos, and with me today is Dr. Lila June Johnston, Indigenous musician, author, and community organizer. Dr. Lila June is of Dene and Stetsus and European lineages, who blends her study of human ecology at Stanford, graduate work in Indigenous pedagogy, and the traditional worldview she grew up with to inform her music, perspectives, and solutions. Her doctoral research focused on the ways in which pre-colonial indigenous nations shaped large regions of Turtle Island to produce abundant food systems for humans and non-humans. Welcome, Lila June. I'm so excited to have you here. This is a very special podcast episode for us. It's our 50th podcast, and it is an absolute honor to have you as our guest today. Oh, I'm so honored as well. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd love for you to start us off by speaking a little about your worldview um, and how your relationship with the earth, your culture, and your personal journey informs the way you bring hope and power to every conversation. As a Diné woman who was also raised in uh, Lakota traditions, um, which is a tribe up north, um, I definitely was taught to see everything as my relative and everything as my friend. So when you see the world that way, you're going to act differently. I think when you're in a lot of trauma and you're a descendant of centuries and centuries of war, it's the opposite. You're taught to see everything as your enemy. And so in, I would say in the indigenous worldview, you're taught to see everything not only as your friend, but as your relative same as like a grandmother or a brother. Um, And so it's very, I think the way, the way you act then is going to be differently, right? You're going to be more trusting of others. You're going to be more congenial. You're going to be more excited when you confront a new situation because it's only going to bring you more joy Um, instead of, if everything's your enemy, then you're going to confront it of like, okay, how do I win? How do I beat this person? How do I conquer this situation? Um, but as indigenous peoples, we, as Diné people specifically, we revolve around the concept of ke, ke apostrophe e, and ke means kinship, interdependence, compassion, um, relationality, and, uh, and all the responsibilities that go along with that, of being responsible to your little brother, being responsible to your mother, being responsible to your neighbor, being responsible to the trees, being responsible to the soil. And and then they in turn are responsible for you. So it's a very beautiful kind of copacetic reciprocal um, back and forth that is actually just one step away if we could only see it that way again. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that makes so much sense because it then helps you see how you fit into it and how to sort of respect every small thing, whether it's perceivable to us as living or not, that it is living in its own way. Um, and I want to just take a deeper look at Indigenous principles as such. Um, right now, there's a lot of lot more traction in adopting Indigenous principles at least within this bubble um, that, uh, and I call it a bubble because it's it's um, there is a lot of conversation about changing the way we live, but um, how mainstream it is, is something I'm not very sure of. But in your wisdom and your experience, what are these indigenous principles um, and how can we realistically apply them to our lives? Right. Well, you can define indigenous in different ways. One way is like a culture who's been in one place for a long, long time, thousands of years to, to the point where they are pretty much part and parcel of that place. They are of the land that is, they are the land and the land is them. Um, and if that's true, then I think all of us have indigenous roots. And so I have been really, um, 
some, but some of us have been estranged from them and some of us have had them ripped away from us many thousands of years ago. Um, you know, there was a lot of indigenous cultures in Europe that behaved almost identically to the ways that Native Americans behaved. They had uh, the cave paintings of the bison and the horse and the ibex. They honored the feminine, you know, the goddess was sort of the, the central uh, goal and, and mission to protect and, and to uplift. Um, and they were matrilineal people and, and they had a lot of cooperation and and then somewhere somehow we see this shift in the archaeological record where it turns into fortification and defense and and dog eat dog and then we just have 2000 years of open warfare in Europe which is just this really terrible period of of history that arguably has given rise to cycles of violence all over the planet um and so when we talk about applying indigenous principles we have to talk about um what is an indigenous principle? What is indigeneity? Um, and what I've what I've come to think um, is that those indigenous principles are are within all of us, um, somewhere deep deep in there. And some of us are living them presently because we never had that interrupted, or we didn't have it completely destroyed, at least. And those indigenous principles tend to be things that are again relational you know being being responsible to all of the beings around you being um uh seeing the world as as your mother versus your slave um and and treating her the way you would treat uh, your mother uh with with kindness respect uh reciprocity serving her you know more than you make her serve you um and so I think applying that to our lives, number one is under, understanding our own indigenous roots. Um, and sometimes those are very hard to find, right? They're under centuries or even millennia of migration and war, and but they're still in there. Um, and I think applying them is, is seeing this global indigeneity that like my podcast is, is all about you know, indigenous solutions, but I've interviewed people from the Philippines. I've interviewed people from, um, from South America. I've interviewed people from Africa because to me, indigenous peoples are not just native Americans. They're we're everywhere. And we're the people who retain the knowledge of how to care for place. Um, we're placelings, you know, we're, we're people of place. And so I think that that is, one of the ways that we can apply it in our lives is <clears throat> either seeing how have I, how can I retrace my roots and connect to my homeland or homelands? Many of us are biracial, triracial, quadraracial these days. And then on the other hand, how can I um, honor the indigenous peoples who are around me? Because maybe you're not. Even though everyone's indigenous, not everyone is indigenous to the land they stand on. So that's a really cool way you can, like, whether you have connection to your roots or not, you can immediately start to be in solidarity with the indigenous peoples around you and just kind of automatically be there for them. Um, and that is is standing behind them and standing in solidarity with them. So I know that isn't like a real concrete answer, but I think before we could get into specific principles and applying them to our lives, we have to reckon with our own personal identity and how that's connected to our ability to be, be part and parcel of the indigenous movement rather than looking at it from afar. Um, like we understand that it's all part of this grandiose, beautiful balance. And so Instead of saying, oh, I don't like winter, I'm going to pretend it's not happening and, you know, like climate controlled rooms and everything's just, you know, like I don't, I'm divorced from reality. I'm divorced from what's really going on. And so I think um, tapping into the seasons, tapping into the, the temperature outside, tapping into the, the massive 
earth forces that are going on around us and being in relationship with them is one way to apply that to our lives. That's really great. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to sort of being a human itself in its truest, truest sense. Like, how do you, how do you really access your own soul and its place on this earth and its purpose, and and what do you have to do to uphold that? Uh, I love that that you explored um, because the the European side of your lineage, and it's something that I've often also research in other for other reasons but what really happened in those histories uh of people of women especially uh, a lot of uh and you mentioned women you being burnt at the stake and uh a lot of these cultures which are sub suppressed still and um which which essentially you know is another topic that is so uh again spoken of or there's there's a lot of call for decolonization and many of us across the world are struggling with this aftermath of colonization and what it did to our people what it did to our land our fellow beings and um you know i'm from india and we have our own traumatic history here but um you know in turtle island your home first nations are still struggling to have agency over the land they nurtured for thousands of years and um and this is true of many many places across the world uh where indigenous communities still have no real uh, recognition as a people or as a culture and uh you know so and all of this is to me feels so interlinked to the state of the earth itself this uh you feel like she's crying and bleeding and starving and uh as we're finding this race there is in in this race for solutions um there's so many indigenous solutions from so many parts of the world which are time tested which are gentle and um you have this wonderful way of approaching these problems with so much love and empathy and i want to ask you um you know and and this is something you just just spoke of as well um you know this decolonization starts with the self as well because it's not just indigenous people who are decolonized uh, who are colonized it's, it's it's a state of mind almost everywhere today and um in this as we stand up for justice and for freedom for all beings on earth how do we approach it in a way that doesn't other uh, or threaten further and in how can this love and empathy still call for like justice and agency and but at the same time work towards a collaborative future i think that you help the colonial culture understand that they're not winning either you know they're not benefiting from being divorced from nature, you know. Colonial societies have really high rates of mental illness. They have really high rates of violence, wealth disparity. Uh, and even when they're rich, they're not happy either. You know, <laughs> it's like we're, we aren't really the ones that are benefiting when we return to indigenous ways of being everyone is benefiting and um and again instead of looking at it as enemies like looking at it as friends like we're friends here and we have a way to come back together um and a way to heal and be connected to each other that can start to slowly heal this very very ancient deep wound um, that is that is vast. Um, and I think that takes a lot of courage on behalf of indigenous peoples to extend a hand or a flower to um, um, the people who formerly oppressed them. But I think it's well worth doing because when you really deeply understand what these people have gone through, in terms of the bubonic plague wiping out a third of their whole, you know, world, in terms of the mass uh, burning of their sisters and their mothers and their daughters, um, 
in terms of the brutal torture chambers and just wars upon wars upon wars upon wars, you start to see that they're not the big bad wolf after all, and they're not the boogeyman. They're actually, and maybe I should even say we are actually, because I am uh, part European and I, I am part of this colonial culture to some extent. Um, we're, we're not the boogeyman. We're actually very broken <laughs> people, broken inside intergenerational trauma uh, that we then inflict on others. And so when you see them that way, it's, it disarms them. They're not so um, uh, scary. And you see that they're just in need of a lot of healing. Um, that's not to dismiss or minimize the immense brutality that, that we as Europeans have inflicted. Mind you, 98% of indigenous peoples were wiped out by colonization. That's, I don't blame any native people if they're not able to forgive that anytime soon. Um, but I want to, I want to move towards that. Um, and I want to get to a place where I can actually be um, part of the catalyst that breaks these cycles of hatred back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And nobody puts their gun down. They're all pointing at each other. And no one wants to take the first step to put it down. Um, but when you see colonial culture as just as much a victim of colonization as anything, as anyone else, then, and you help them see that as well, um, then they, they start to get jealous, right? Like, wait, why, why don't I get to be part of this cool indigenous world where like everyone's just in this symbiotic cycle of gift, gifting and giving and in, enjoying, you know, <laughs> and it's like, and so it's like, you don't have to really like sell it too hard. It's just like, do, do you want a world where like, there's enough for everyone and everyone is, is, is family, <laughs> you know? Um, and you don't have to fight so hard anymore. You don't have to conquer all the time. You don't have to win, 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 you know? Um, and then once we help colonial culture understand that they're too a victim, just, just like men are too a victim of patriarchy, right? Like they're not winning. They feel like crap too. They yeah. feel dead inside, you know? So anyways, I think that's one way you can sort of, um, heal that is by helping them understand that that we're all going to win in this process and 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 through forgiveness and through being kind to others even our enemies even our oppressors we can unlock immense healing and and break really ancient cycles and that's very interesting that many of the things that you touched upon and um one of the things that i've observed around me lately is that there's this there's this seeking of meaning that is almost like an epidemic. Uh, people with a lot of money, people from very privileged backgrounds are essentially like they're actually taking a lot of time off just to find meaning, to make sense, to find purpose, to find. And it's, I've, I've, I've observed this uh, from a distance when, and I wonder while it seems like you're looking for a meaningful career or a meaningful family dynamic or whatever at the outset it means, is it also a search to find the connection back to whatever roots of your soul itself in terms of what are these ties that actually connect you? And that that is the sort of, I mean, you can travel and run as much as you can, but at some point you have to stop and see what is that real meaning that that you really are seeking and this your response to how how can we decolonize seems like a really powerful answer for that as well that in, in while we seek for this meaning it's also interesting to see what is the trauma that maybe was inflicted millennia ago or how do we contend with having no idea of what really has been that particular person's indigenous past, right? So that is, that, thank you for 
answering it in that way it really sheds light on so many things that we see around us um today and you know i see a lot of i mean even anxiety or hopelessness is quite the epidemic today um it's spoken of uh, a, a lot and especially people who are working at the grassroots um and are observing and feeling the changes of nature um very very uh, intimately and are, and you know there's this immense shift in stability but they find this the strength to carry on to have the faith to do what's possible and um i was hoping what you see this healing to be and you know where you find the courage from um to continue working and speaking up for the causes that you believe in while also embracing the larger reality well i think that a, a lot of folks do these retreats and search for meaning and stuff because um ironically we're not actually designed to just take 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 get 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 um have 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 um we're actually designed to give 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 serve 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 and fight 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 for others uh because we're warriors humanity is actually a warrior um that's our design is to be a warrior for the earth and a warrior for the people around us um and when we don't have that outlet to exercise that design we slowly start to die inside <laughs> and i'll give my own story as an example you know i was a drug addict since uh, age 11 and even though i went to stanford got my phd and all these things i i had a lot of um uh mental health issues myself and the drug community around me growing up really trained me to be a drug addict um everyone around me was selling drugs etc um and so um i got into that state of being where you're just consuming you you want another high you want another bump you want another boost and it's all about you and i was just taking 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 these drugs to to make me happier um different types of drugs different types of highs you know just serving myself mostly and i became so sad and purposeless and broken and what awakened me to wanting to be alive again was when the elders and the ancestors said hey um would you please fight for us we we need help and i said wow really you want my help i'm such a broken weird person and they said yeah you we want you and and they wanted me specifically just like they want all of us specifically for our each our own unique gifts that we bring to the table um and i said okay well i'll fight for you and that was 14 years ago and i haven't stopped fighting since i've felt so alive this whole time and i have a mission now i have a a goal to make my mark on the earth not a mark of ego and a stamp of oh lila was here but the people that i helped and the way i made the world a better place before i died that is that has given me a, a really deep fire to want to keep living and to a, a joy that i've never never knew before i consciously stepped into that um uh that um process of service and so um yeah that that's that's what i think you know but and then to to your point there's people who are a little bit on the extreme other extreme right they're serving 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 and they're tired um and i think that that also is um you have to strike that balance you know and just know that your joy and your happiness also matters um <laughs> and i'm out actually working on that myself um just been serving a lot for the past 14 years and now i need like to kind of like have a family or something do something for myself um but yeah i think that that ironically we we see humans as this nasty pest when in fact we're actually by design we're not happy unless we're giving truly happy you know that that purpose you speak of that purpose is what ignites us and makes us come alive 
And so, yeah, I've really enjoyed digging into that. And I try to help others who whose spirit is calling them to do that, you know, to help them do that as well. Wow, that's really a very powerful journey for yourself. And um, yeah. Oh, I should say, I should say briefly, I'm now 11 years sober. I just celebrated that three days ago. So I am off the drugs and have been for a long time with service as my main motivator to be present, to be healthy, to be, um, yeah, useful. You can't be useful when you're doing that even a little bit. So I just cut everything out a hundred percent. That's very, very powerful and quite the, to find your purpose and, and to be serving it for 11 years is, uh, is, is really must be feeling uh, quite like a connection that you're feeling to your ancestors and to the land and to the people all around you. And I often, when I'm, you know, we, as you were saying, we, people look at human beings as, well, people, <laughs> humans look at humans as uh, as this nasty creature who should not have been here. You know, this is the kind of narrative we often hear now from, and it's coming from a place of frustration from, from working a, a lot at something and not seeing the results because <laughs> you're you're working towards uh to, to protecting ecosystems or uh ways of life and livelihood and then this onslaught um of extractive uh ways are really hard to fight um and one of the things that i was really recently thinking of is that it's not really humanity it's because the vast, vast majority of humans are suffering the same way. Like we're talking of, of whales starving. There are people starving the same way. Um, we're talking of, uh, of, of not having um, a safe habitat. There's, and it's true for so many beings um, from insects and animals and birds and, of course, human beings. And the human beings who are at the forefront of this battle who are working with the land who are planting mangroves and seagrasses and you know these are the people who are suffering the most and it's so it's when we're looking at ourselves we're still in a way that I suppose the only reason that we're still existing on this planet is because there are so many thousands who are working so hard to continue some of these traditions to at their own expense um and in that sense, we're, we are a keystone species on this planet, right? And um, yeah, and I wonder what, what, whether you have some stories of things that you've come across. I recently saw something, I mean, I mean I, on your Instagram page where you're talking about creating that architecture of uh, your ancestors. And, uh, and I wanted to ask you, like, what was that process like? And how did that help? in this larger purpose and how did it help connect with the land and with each other? Yeah, well, um, we built a hogan here at my house and that's a, a octagonal structure that you can pray in and you can learn in and you can um, uh, um, live in. So our school and our church and our daily life were never separate. It was all one ceremony one process of of living of life a way of life as they say we didn't really have a religion we just had like a way of of living each day with creation and um but it was very spiritual and it is very spiritual um <clears throat> and so yeah building that architecture has been <laughs> quite a quite a feat we're finally done we're going to celebrate um here in a few days um with a hogan blessing ceremony but I think what I like about it is it's um, it's very advanced architecture in the sense that it's it's hyper it's hyper insulated uh, with mud, <laughs> just mud. You don't need a lot of fancy stuff. You just the dirt around you and the clay, and you know some straw, and boom, you have a really really um, energy efficient um, um, piece of piece of structure that can not only hold your spiritual values and your spiritual teachings, but
but also keep you warm. And and then in the summer, it gets pretty hot here in the desert. It'll keep you cool because it insulates all of that uh, coolness from the night. It keeps it in there all day. So sort of a self-regulating um, temperature without any, you know, thermostat or uh, <laughs> there is a fire stove inside and you just have to burn a couple logs and it'll stay warm all night. You know, it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the door always opens to the East to honor the rising sun. Um, I mean, you could go on and on about it. it's, it's really a book. If you know how to read it, it teaches about the four sacred mountains it teaches about creation. It teaches about heaven and earth joining together. It teaches about womanhood and manhood. It teaches about um, being humble. Uh, it's, it's shaped like a like a womb of a mother, like a pregnant belly. Um, so when we go inside, we're returning to our mother and honoring the feminine. I mean, it's just such a powerful teaching tool as well. And and I think that's true of almost every indigenous structure infrastructure that everything has meaning you know it's not like oh there's a house period you know it's like no this house is encoded with knowledge encoded with values encoded with teachings that we and principles that we could pass on to our children that they literally live in there um and so um yeah we're um Really excited to to unveil it here in a couple of days. Um, but going back to your point of you know humans destroying things and being good or being bad, and some of them are taking care of the earth and some of them aren't. Um, I really don't think that that humanity is bad whatsoever. It's more the you started this whole conversation with worldview. I, I see the human body as the hardware and the worldview as the software. And our hardware operates based on the programming of our software. And it's not the hardware that's the problem. Our bodies are not inherently bad. It's the software we operate by that is sometimes infected with this virus of selfishness, of fear. Well, really fear, because selfishness is just a a type of fear. All these things boil down to different types of fear, fear of not having enough fear of not being enough, right? That's where the conqueror comes in. I got to be important, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, fear of um, being alone, you know, creates all of these obsessive behaviors, um, you know, and we all have our own sets of fears that are often cultivated by challenging childhoods. Um, but that when that software is governed by fear, like again, seeing everything as your enemy <clears throat> to be vanquished, you're going to behave in really weird ways. And so the indigenous cultures are like softwares that haven't been corrupted, softwares that haven't been broken down, softwares that haven't been um, rewritten over by the program of, of colonization and the program of domination. And so what I'm trying to do isn't so much to get rid of the humans, you know, but rather to upgrade their software, like help them be more in tune with behaviors that are going to help themselves and others. And it's, what is also really the interesting in all that you're saying is also the value of community and, and that, um, that is not just, the individual, but the community, and that community includes uh, culture uh, and other human beings, but also the place that which is embodying all the all the living system itself. Um, and I wonder if you want to speak a little bit more about the value or the the role of community in um, in these indigenous principles or the ways in which you can interact and live. Can you repeat that one more time? My apologies. Uh, now, I was wondering what what you see community as as a role in all that we do and live, and because you, the way you explain these things and the way you talk about these is always it's not about the individual, but it's about the the place, which is 
which is also community of other living beings uh, and other people and um, um, also beyond this realm as well, right? Not just people who we are living with right now, but uh, ancestors and um, also our future, our descendants as well. One thing I can say is that the lone wolf thing is extremely inefficient economically, um, um, energetically, and ecologically as well, in the sense that when we work together, we actually save a lot of money um, versus if if we're sort of operating in silos and operating individualistically, I'll give you an, a really easy example. Um, let's take a, uh, a five-story apartment building with a hundred rooms and everyone's paying rent, right? They're paying rent to the landlord and they're paying um, 2000 a month. So if you have... Um, hundred rooms paying two thousand a month, and that's a cheap rent, right? <laughs> collectively, they're paying uh, two hundred thousand a month, and collectively, they're paying um, uh, two million four hundred thousand a year together. And, and that that money's going to the landlord and also to operating costs, but they have a collective power of uh, over two million a year. Imagine if they were to. Um, use that collectively. And there's a great example of that in Mexico Mexico uh, called Tosepan. They're a community who realized like, oh, if we pull together our resources and work as a team, we actually can get things for a lot cheaper. We can buy them wholesale and then we can save money. And they started their own bank. They started their own school. Um, and they're just a phenomenal organization. Uh, almost like an experiment. Um, and some people call that socialism and communism and like that gets into all kinds of, you know. So you get in this terrible territory where people are kind of, you know, and I think on purpose trying to put that in the same bucket as like totalitarianism and stuff because because of the power when we work together, the slave owner doesn't have power over us anymore, right? The 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 car company who has every single person has to buy their own car like doesn't make as much money you know when we're all working individualistically capitalism thrives on that right like everyone has to like have so much more stuff than we actually need collectively and so i think there's a reason why they kind of badmouth collective processes and try to demonize it and 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 there are terrible terrible <laughs> um instances of communism i'm not like um uh promoting that at all i'm just saying when we work together collectively we're actually um way way more efficient um so another quick ex thought experiment is like oh people say oh we have all these people we have all these we have eight billion people this is terrible you know and it's like, is it terrible or is our behavior terrible? Um, and if each of these 8 billion people were equipped with the proper software, we could do some amazing stuff together. We could like heal whole freaking landscapes. We could seed. And when, when I, we built a Hogan many years ago, we built it in four days. You know, a hundred people came by, we threw it up in four days. And normally that would take like, half a year with the with the standard crew mm. so like what if our population problem was actually a population asset for the earth if we were working together if we were steered in the right direction but right now we're all steered towards being a leech right we're all steered towards being a, a an extractive force and that is um that will turn our population into a population problem yes it will <laughs> yeah I, I keep thinking that if we have 8 billion people on earth, that's because there's 8 billion people worth of work that is required at this point in time to care for our systems, to care for our land and care for our seas, because we need, it's really an all hands on deck situation, all minds as well. And that's why our population has to be what it is, because if we need these many people to keep 
then that's how the earth is is at today where where she's evolved to be so um thank you for that really <laughs> beautiful answer um you know and um one of the biggest gaps in this whole movement uh to protect the earth to uh regenerate the earth is the narrative itself and more often than not we're faced with what not to do and as a species we have access to the intelligence of the world and the intelligence of the earth itself and we also have these powerful minds and the software <laughs> that can in fact shape reality like we can we can manifest it we can heal it and but you know we first have to envision it and um and the question sort of is like on a and I, I don't expect you to have the magic answer but the question is what is this narrative that we're even working towards what is this vision of a nature positive abundant thriving future and so i i wonder what does this future look like in your mind is there a picture that you could paint for us yeah i love that question i think it looks like um our a, a huge part of it is healing and forgiveness right like without forgiveness there's no way there's no way forward and even now with what we have going on in palestine and israel i mean the the animosity and 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 the pain inflicted is just so immense right like will will either side either forgive ever you know um and 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 i think the more that it does the more quickly we can metabolize this terrible thing into something where like you could even envision those two groups actually coexisting and not necessarily in the same like not not just physically but like coexisting emotionally and and culturally and so anyways that's a huge can of worms there but my point is if we forgive then we can come back together again as a species and forgiveness is a strange thing you know it doesn't make sense it's it's never it's never earned right like in fact the only time you forgive is when someone's done something terrible right it's not like you deserve you never deserve forgiveness in fact you usually only ever really really don't deserve it right you don't there's no good reason for someone to forgive you and that's what makes forgiveness so powerful is you're saying even though you did this horrendous thing i'm choosing to not hold it against you anymore because i love you unconditionally and i'm setting you free that's a that's a crazy thing to do, right? And some people do it and some people most people don't. <laughs> but when they do, it shakes the earth in this deep way that even the most numb people can't help but feel something sacred and powerful. Um so when that forgiveness happens, which is terrible that a lot of oppressed people who are already worn out, already tired, already hurting like heck are sort of like tasked with the other project of forgiveness, right? Like, but like when we can rise to that occasion. Um, and then on the other end, people need to make amends, you know, they have to, they have to be accountable for what they've done. They have to admit it which is so much easier to admit when you're in a space of restorative justice versus punitive justice, right? That's another thing we don't realize as oppressed peoples. The, the more we, we reflect the punitive justice model of own up, own up to what you've done, the more we're, we're hindering actually people taking accountability because we're not giving people a safe place to take accountability. And many people will argue with me that who cares? You better take accountability and take the lashings because that's what you deserve. And good luck with that. You know, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> Whereas when we're in a restorative space and we say, come clean and we're going to meet you on the other side with mercy, you know, come clean and we're going to meet you on the other side with 
with with healing for all of us. You know, come clean and we're gonna still love you and we're gonna still work towards something beautiful together. So that's the that's the future I envision. A big part of it is forgiveness. And 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 even though we all have people we hate, we often all have things we hate about ourselves that we would really love forgiveness for as well. Um so it's funny how we kind of play the double standard sometimes. Um when 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 in fact we can all have forgiveness ourselves and others. Um but anyways, um, the other vision, the vision I, I see is, you know, a reunion, reunion between Homo sapiens and, and, and all other life forms that are both all around us and within us, billions of life forms inside of us. You know, the microbiome is a fascinating place. Um, and so when we reconnect with all the life that not only gives us life, but start to give that life in return. And, and, and my dissertation talks a lot about how human beings have augmented clam gardens, augmented oyster um, estuaries, augmented buffalo habitat, augmented um, chestnut groves, augmented um, you know, perennial supplies of fish for themselves and other animals and fruits uh, throughout and, and soil systems, you know, how we've, the Amazon folks have literally built this composting system that they call terra preta that just like you know like that's who we that's who we've been and that's who we can be again we can take these human hands and they can be an asset so anyways i think that's sort of our calling right now is to um have a reunion with the earth and and come back into a place where we are effective in proliferating life and abundance for all all things and that's what we were put here for. Now we can do it. Wow. Um, wow, that's such a beautiful and humbling and wholesome answer and a picture of uh, what our world could look like. Um, yeah, I feel so blessed to have been part of this conversation because this we're, we're at the end of our time almost, and this feels like a fabulous way to think of what we as a as a species as communities need to need to take as a next step you you inspire so much uh, hope uh, lila and there is this love and warmth in how you speak of the difficult and challenging circumstances that so many millions of souls are facing today um and before we end our time together today i wonder if there is a message or a story for our community that you would like to share as we wrap up yeah i would just like to say that each and every one of you are such a precious gift to the world and and that you were created with great purpose and that you are needed and that you are loved by the ancestors and the angels and all of the beings that are working so hard to find a way to help this world. And um, you have a really important job here that although not all of us fulfill our jobs, we all have one, whether we fulfill it or not, we were put here with, with jobs to do. And those jobs are about fitting in in our specific way to answer the prayers that we came to answer. And so, you know, who you are and your your skin color, your eyes, your your hair, your your phenotype, you know, that's part of your hint of like who you came to serve, who you came to help and uplift, um, who you can reach, you know, because we're all like. And we're all like ancestors coming back to this earth, you know, and we're all coming back to this earth to do our, our soul's mission, if you will. And, um, and that mission is to, to, to reach the people we prayed to come to reach. And me being a native woman, like there's people I can reach that, that you can't reach. And, and you being of your um, lineage, there's people you can reach that I can't reach. And, and we're all made perfectly to do the work that we came here to do. And so to look inside of yourself and, and look at what do you 
what do you have? What kind of tools do you have? What were you given? What place were you put in? Um, and what community were you born into? And, 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 and know that you have a gift. Each and every one of us also has gifts. You know, we have gifts. Um, like I'm really good at giving speeches on, on, on a good day, but I'm really bad at like construction work. <laughs> like, <laughs> really bad at like, like audio, like, like visual arts, you know, like, I'm really bad at, um, you know, like, I don't know, like three-dimensional stuff, <laughs> but man, I can give a good speech, you know? So we all, so that's my little contribution, but maybe you're an expert at, at building. Maybe you're an expert at organizing people. Maybe you're an expert at um, crafts. Maybe you're an expert at singing, you know, what creator endowed each of us with, with a gift or gifts. And, and those are, were meant to, to be given to a world in need. And so, um, so yeah, I think that that's, um, really what I would tell people is, is to, to know that every rock was created with purpose, every deer, every star, every tree, every butterfly, and every human, every human is also here with purpose. And to, the goal here is to find our purpose and find our gifts and to give them, um, and to know that you're never alone in that process. You are always accompanied by more ancestors than you can imagine. And you're always accompanied by beings that love you unconditionally, meaning they don't care if you've made mistakes. They don't care if you don't know what you're doing right now. They love you unconditionally and they see your beauty much more clearly even probably than you do. And they're on your side. And so in that task of finding your purpose and knowing what your soul came here to do, um, just know you're never alone in that journey. Um, so that's what I would share with people. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'm just letting it sink in. It's a, it's a, it's a really wonderful thought to, to have that purpose and, and to, to embrace that, the fact that you're part of this larger system so thank you um i feel like this is a wonderful place to leave things off to let imaginations ignite to activate collective action to manifest uh this vision that we need of a thriving world um it has been an inspiring and profound conversation lila and i'm so grateful for your wisdom Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for everything. And hopefully it was helpful and hopefully we could talk again sometime. Thank you, Laila. And, uh, and to our listeners, I leave a gentle message to listen and observe the heartbeat of the earth and to seek her guidance and navigation to navigate the messages of climate and ecological predictions as we find our true purpose. This is Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paulos, and with me today is Dr. Lila June Johnston, Indigenous musician, author, and community organizer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>